There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. Greg, last week we had, you remember, Tony Crescenzi from PIMCO on. I do remember. That was an interesting discussion. What'd you take away from that one? Well, he's a very interesting guy. 40 years of investment experience. He just celebrated. And of course, he's an expert on the markets in general, but again, PIMCO being a bond fund manager, largely, he certainly has a wealth of information about bonds. And and yet the thing that struck me most when we talked about what did he learn in his 40 years, he talked about patience. You have to be patient with the markets. You have to be patient with your investments. Let things play out as they will. And usually there's a good result in the end. Yeah, that's a good point. Patience is not inaction is a term I've heard before. Yes, And I think that rings true today for sure as we look at the markets every day because that's what we do. And some days feel good and other days don't feel so good. But if you look on a minute-by-minute basis, it it can do that to you. That's right. right. But if you look back over five, ten years, you go, wow, there's been a lot of return. That's right. So today we don't really have one theme to discuss. We're going to talk about a number of items that have come up in recent conversations. And we're going to be doing a deeper dive into some of the recent advancements in the field of finance or finance as some call it right and how they are changing the way we invest so why don't we kick it off so there so what you're saying is today's episode is more like potpourri on on jeopardy sure yeah <laughs> a mixture a blend I'm trying to think of one of the words you've brought up recently one of your fancy words from your education but yeah potpourri works all right well let's get going let's start with robo advisors you know, robo-advisors, we talked a bit about robo-advisors probably a couple of years ago on this podcast. And that's something robo-advisors just meaning, I guess, a digital advisor. You know, you don't speak to someone, you input information about yourself and they spit out a portfolio. And they are growing. You know, according to a recent report by Statista, the global robo-advisory market was valued at $14.6 billion in 2020, back when we first talked about it, and expected to grow to $50.7 billion by 2026. And part of that growth can be attributed just to the fact that it can be convenient for many people and they do offer supposedly low fees. Yeah, there's pros and cons to robo-advisors, robo-advisory services. Lots of them use sophisticated algorithms to create and manage investment portfolios. Now, they market them as being tailored to each individual's financial goals and risk tolerances, but I've kind of got a bit of a problem with that. You know, there may be some framing bias that comes into play with these types of options. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when you go to the World Wide Web, as you call it, or the interweb for medical advice. Have you ever done that? I have. Yeah. And I've usually regretted it. Yeah. Anytime I've ever done it, like I've had a, I don't know, a sore knee or sore shoulder or something. It always tells me one of three things. I'm either having a heart attack, a stroke, or I have cancer. Exactly. It, it, it always goes <laughs> down that path. Yeah. So I would just say that you know many that use these robo-advisory services as air quotes, tailored investment plans, 
maybe want to rethink, is it really tailored for them or is it mass customization? Well, that's right. You know, and we've run across it, you know, in our own work over the years, you get risk tolerance questionnaires and there's only so many ways to answer six questions. And the result of that will come up with a mathematical number that then spits out a portfolio and and without actually getting to know someone and to sit across the table from them and to have a conversation where you actually not hear the words they say, but how they say them, you might not actually be picking up on all the right cues. Well, actually, one of my favorite questions from there, one of my, when I say favorite, it's least favorite, is when, you know, those questionnaires always say like, if your portfolio lost 20% this year, would you A, sell out, B, hold, C, buy more? or something to that effect, right? And then it's easy to sort of answer that question now when you're not down 20%, but the minute your portfolio goes down 20%, I'd like you to re-answer that question. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Because you can't imagine the fear and the emotions that you'll be experiencing when that actually happens. So another trend we're seeing, totally different from the robo-advisor discussion, is the rise of sustainable investing. And in 2020, the global sustainable investment market was valued at about $31 trillion, according to the Global Sustainable Investment Alliance. Yeah, and this trend is only going to continue as younger generations become more conscious, conscientious about the impact their investments have on the world. I see it in my kids and, and their friends. They talk about things that maybe you and I didn't talk about back in high school in regards to the state of the environment in the world. But there was a recent survey by Morning Consult, which found that 81% of millennials and 78% of Gen Zs or Gen Zs believe that companies should prioritize ESG issues. I don't want to get into it too much with the ESG side, being that we're in Alberta, right? And ESG gets really painted with a very broad brush, I would say, but, but it is top of mind for a lot of younger investors. Well, for sure, you know, and that's a really interesting point. And and it's actually not just the younger investors who are interested in sustainable investing. So the same survey you mentioned found that about 75% of all investors are interested in sustainable investing. But one of the issues that comes up with numerous companies and firms trying to capitalize on that interest is something that's called greenwashing. And uh, according to Investopedia, Greenwashing is the process of conveying a false impression or misleading information about how a company's products are environmentally sound. So greenwashing involves making an unsubstantiated claim that's intended to either deceive consumers into believing that a company's products are environmentally friendly or have a greater positive impact than they actually do. Greenwashing can also occur when a company attempts to emphasize sustainable aspects of a product to overshadow any possible involvement in environmentally damaging practices. Greenwashing itself is a play on the term whitewashing, basically, which means using false information to intentionally hide some wrongdoing, error, or an unpleasant situation in an attempt to make it seem less bad than it is. I mean, a good example of that might be wind farms versus tailing ponds in the oil sands projects, right? There's a heck of a lot of birds that get wiped out by a wind farm that nobody talks about. Well, that's right. There are negative consequences, right, in that particular example. You know, when there's there's noise issues, you know, there's other concerns. So again, it's not that wind farms in this example are not a good alternative to possibly oil and gas, you know, for generating electricity, but it's not maybe the fantastic solution with no negative consequences that many people presented it. 
Yeah, and not trying to pick on younger investors in regards to this either, by the way. There's a lot of people that, as you say, are interested in, and, and I am too, right? I mean, I think everybody in the world would say, if we could have a environmentally friendly society, wouldn't we want that, right? Yeah, absolutely. But speaking of these younger investors, there are several investment platforms that are specifically targeted towards millennials and Gen Zers or Gen Zers. Yep depending if you're in Canada or the U.S. So these platforms offer a range of investment options like sustainable investments, yep. and they do have low minimum investment requirements and low fees or what might be perceived to be low fees. That's right. And listen, we've always talked about managing fees as being one of the few things that you can actually control in an investment strategy. And for young investors starting out, you know, fees can be important. Not that they're not important for everybody. Everybody, I was just going to say, yeah. yeah. But particularly important as a percentage of their investable assets. So there's actually a platform called Acorns. This must be a U.S. platform. Yes. Yeah. And this is really interesting. So Acorns has has over about 9 million users and helped users save over $3 billion since its launch in 2014. And they do it, what they do is they use a roundup feature, which basically rounds up users' purchases to the next nearest dollar and invest the spare change into a portfolio of low-cost ETFs. You're starting to see that kind of that roundup in a lot of areas. You know, some stores use roundup for charitable donations and things like that. But when you think about it, these small amounts can add up over long periods of time. So, Yeah, and we're definitely not recommending Acorns. It's just an example of, of a company that's doing that, right? Exactly right. Just like I definitely don't recommend when I go to the grocery store and the I'm asked for charitable giving as I'm paying for my groceries. That always bugs me, by the way. (laughs) But let's talk about other recent investments in personal investing. And one of those would be cryptocurrency. This is obviously something you're hearing more and more about. And according to a report by Glassnode, I don't know who Glassnode is, but they put out a report on it, Greg. In it, they state the number of Bitcoin addresses holding at least 0.1 Bitcoins has reached an all-time high of 3,054,282. That's a lot. It is. And, you know, Bitcoin at this point, we're not going to dive into it in any way, but it's highly speculative. And you can tell it's highly speculative because the price has bounced around, you know, as high as $60,000 per Bitcoin in the last few years or a couple of years and went down to $20,000, you know. And so any security that has that much volatility, I think it would be important to note that it's an evolving kind of, I don't know if I can call it an asset class, but it's evolving rapidly. It's highly volatile and speculative. And are we recommending it? Absolutely not. No, no, we're not. It's just for interest sake, we have to talk about it because it's it's, it's all there. around us, you right? Bet. And we're not necessarily saying it's only Bitcoin either. Like it's Ethereum, It's there's other forms of digital currency, cryptocurrencies, Absolutely. Right? So moving on, we want to touch on an important topic that affects all investors, whether they're, it doesn't matter who they are. And they're, it's something we've talked about in past episodes and it's behavioral biases. And why do we bring it up again, Greg? Because it is super important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, behavioral biases can have a significant impact on investment decisions and those decisions can lead to poor investment performance. So, you know, some of the most common biases that we've talked about in the past include overconfidence, confirmation bias, and loss aversion. And all of those things, they come up time and time again. Yeah, they do. It's like they're on repeat. I see it all the time. Even 
I had a friend going back to the cryptocurrency thing. I had a friend who sent me a little TikTok video of somebody being interviewed on CNBC. And their thesis was that you should sell all of your investments and only invest in Bitcoin. Now, their job was they ran a Bitcoin exchange. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder why their recommendation came out the way it did. Yeah, it's kind of like when dairy farmers tell you that you need to drink three glasses of milk a day. Exactly. Why would that be, Greg? Yep. (laughs) Why why would they tell you that? Well, I don't know. There may be some self-interest there. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Anyway, so it's important to recognize these biases and really work hard to overcome them when making investment decisions. And I think that's the harder part is that it's easy to pick them out. It's easy to point out examples of overconfidence, confirmation bias, hindsight bias, and others, right? But it's what do you do with that information? How do you you know, not fall prey to them? And it's difficult because, as we've talked about as well, you and I have both been doing this business, this job for a long time. And I find myself falling prey from time to time to, to all of these biases. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about the stock market or if we're talking about a trendy vehicle or I don't know, it's any purchase really, right? Exactly. And one of the things, you know, and I've mentioned this again recently was just noise, market noise. You know, when you look at anybody that looks at the market every day or worse yet, a particular stock price every day, they're going to be very highly exposed to a lot of noise. And a lot of noise is just that. If you looked at, say, a stock price or an index over a month or two, it smooths out a lot of the volatility that you see on a day-to-day basis, but it's that day-to-day basis looking at it every day and then either worrying about it or feeling elated about it. It just helps to feed into those biases. So one of the ways for younger investors, but really for all investors to overcome those biases is basically to focus on building a diversified portfolio and sticking to the long-term strategy. So boring, Greg. I know, I know, exactly. But it's probably one of the better ways to minimize the effects of behavioral biases. Yeah. And in all fairness, that could be our bias, right? That's right. Our bias is that you should remove other biases by just having a well-diversified portfolio and a plan, right? I agree with you. You've just confirmed my bias. Thank you. (laughs) And the way to do that is actually through education. I mean, it's easy to get caught in those headlines of I should have bought this stock or that stock or this cryptocurrency or a house in Phoenix 10 years ago or whatever, right? So it's really important that, you know, we're picking on younger investors, but really all investors, as you mentioned, to educate themselves on personal finance and investing. And I would say that if somebody's listening to this show, well, congratulations, you're working your way through educating yourself on personal finance and investing. Exactly. And I think, you know, we talk about as you say, the need for more education and resources for young investors, because I think if you if you start off in the right direction when you're young, then that sets you up for a lifetime of hopefully positive investing experiences. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, I hate to sound like the old man, but I've been in a few conversations recently with some younger people that they tell me how the stock market works. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, is that how it works? Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, right on. Th- thank you for clarifying <laughs> that for me. I've only been doing this job for 20 years, but yeah, that's right. I appreciate your input. Well, you know, the good news is there are plenty of resources available. There's lots of personal finance blogs and podcasts like this one, as well as online courses, investment platforms. And, and part of the issue as well with these blogs and podcasts is that they're not all created equal either. And so you may well get biased information or, or information intended to direct you into a certain 
course of action. And I would just argue that anything that talks about the new and greatest investment idea that might be costly to implement or might be out of the ordinary, just to be wary of. Yeah. So stick to a general finance podcast that deal with the basics of investing. Yeah. You know, I failed to mention some statistical data I wanted to bring up. And that was this, there's a recent survey by the National Endowment for Financial Education. And they found that only 24% of millennials have a basic financial literacy, while 8% have a high financial literacy. And this actually is a good segue into something that Paige Hilton on our team's been working on. She's been working on a financial literacy project, trying to bring awareness of this in her target audience, some younger investors as to like how things actually work, right? So anyways, by taking the time to educate people themselves and building that solid investment strategy that you mentioned, I think it's fair to say that not just younger investors, but all investors can get themselves set up for some form of long-term financial success. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And as we move along through our potpourri categories today, I just want to touch on some of the current investment themes, you know, that are out there and investors may be aware of, may be interested in, may be hearing news about, you know, and I think the key thing with a lot of these themes is that a lot of them are things that we see every day or you hear about every day and they might be the next greatest thing. They might be processes and directions that are already well underway, but they will have an effect. And let's just talk about some of them. So one of the bigger investment themes right now is just the growth of e-commerce and digital payments. This was, has been in the works for years, but the pandemic really accelerated the shift towards online shopping. You know, when you look at companies that are at the forefront of that trend, such as Amazon and PayPal, you know, they saw significant growth in their stock prices, particularly early on in the pandemic. A lot of that has kind of walked back a little bit now, just as, you know, life gets back to normal a little bit. But certainly, certainly things like e-commerce and digital payments, you know, here to stay. And that e-commerce area is crushing brick and mortar stores, right? And it's causing a disruption factor there that has a trickle down effect that we didn't really talk about before our show. But think of it this way. If you, 10 years ago, you had a mall full of stores and you'd go in and buy what you needed to do at the mall, right? And you'd take it home. And that's just the way it was. Now you just open up your smartphone, not even your laptop, right? Buy what you want. It's delivered right to your door. So what is the impact on those stores, right? Is that all of a sudden things like malls are having to be reimagined. Like what do we do with all of the space that we don't need for a retail store anymore? Well, you know, the other thing that really creams my corn. Can you say that in public? Creams my corn? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Frost my buns, maybe. (laughs) It's like when you and I were growing up and possibly me more than you, but department stores were the places you went to buy, you know, you could go to an Eaton's or Simpson's Sears and you could get everything you needed in one physical place. And the Bay, that's what we've got left. And if the Bay goes, where are we? Well, (laughs) that's a good point. Actually, do you remember a store called Consumers Distributors? I do. I used to love going there. Yeah. And actually, it was an early form of, I would say, Amazon, right? Because you'd go in and there was no fancy shelves, no fancy music, no no fancy coffees. It was just an ordered desk in a warehouse and you would go and say, I want this toy. They'd go back into the warehouse and they'd get it for you. That's right. But I do miss those days of getting the Sears catalogs and those things. Uh, Right on. 
So, okay, so anyways, I'm going on on about that, reminiscing really about yeah. my childhood. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> of course. We what were, better place to do it when we're, uh, <laughs> you know, have, have people listening? Yeah, I was just going to say, but, you know, driving to the mall, we forgot about that experience. You know, you're in the back of your parents' station wagon with no seat belts in the back, eating off a lead plate right. while your parents smoked with the windows rolled up. Some things have improved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So anyways, another investment theme that we want to keep an eye on, and you already kind of mentioned it in your ESG stuff, is renewable energy. And, you know, the world is moving more towards a more sustainable future where companies are getting more involved in renewable energy production with the use of things like wind and solar and actually the ocean as well and other areas. And they're poised for growth. And this would include companies that I'm sure you're familiar with like Tesla and First Solar. I got to tell you, my beef with Tesla and Tesla owners is this. I'm not sure if many, this is going to be a real general statement, Greg. I'm not sure if many owners actually have a good handle on where the energy comes from to drive their cars and the carbon input that goes into creating that car Mm -hmm. and the non-renewable resource of the battery that goes into storing the energy so the car can move. That's right. No, and this is a safe place. You can talk about that. I mean, it's just you and I chatting, right? One of the things that comes to mind as we talk about some of these themes, like renewable energy, is that thematic investing has been around for a long time. When I started in the business a long, long time ago, as the song says, at that time, we were, everyone was talking about demographics, you know, the aging baby boomers, the, you know, this demographic group that was aging and retirement homes and nursing homes were the big thing. You know, everyone talked about getting into those types of businesses. This was back in the mid nineties or so. And the theme was absolutely right. The direction was right, but the timing was way off because the baby boomers on average were, I don't know, 55 or something at that point. And yes, they eventually reached a point like right now where there's a a much greater need for assisted living, you know, and types of long-term care. But back in the nineties, even though it was an identifiable theme, it was a little early, you know, and as we get into things, talking about things like renewable energy, and I know I've just heard over the last little while that President Biden in the U.S. has set some pretty aggressive targets to have 75% of vehicles sold in the U.S. being electric. By when? By 2032, I believe. So how old is President Biden right now, Greg? I think he's about 80. Okay. And in 2032, you say? Yeah. He'll be 89. Okay. The point being (laughs) is that I absolutely, you know, if I had to state an opinion, you could envision a lot more electric vehicles or hybrid vehicles or plug-in vehicles, you know, on the market by then, whether it gets to 75% or not, who knows. But the point is that the oil and gas and the coal industries aren't going anywhere because a lot of the population growth over the next, you know, 50 years is going to be in parts of the world where they currently don't have a lot of wealth, Asia and Africa. And access to energy and inexpensive energy is going to drive demand for coal, you know, for for a long time. And coal is obviously a very polluting kind of energy input. So so I think the renewable energy theme is absolutely the right direction. And I think we can all agree that it's the right thing to do. Well, back to my point earlier, like, I mean, who doesn't want a better, more sustainable environment to live in, right? But the reality is that, as you say, 
oil and gas and coal aren't really going anywhere for a while. We didn't mean to go down this path. Well, no, we we didn't. But, uh, you know, (laughs) hey, what the heck? It's our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It actually reminds me of, as you're talking about the 1990s and baby boomers and old folks homes or whatever you want to call it, right? I was watching Back to the Future 2 a couple nights ago with my wife and daughter. Do you recall the movie? I do. And you recall that Biff Tanner steals the sports almanac with all of the winning scores from, I think it was, I don't know, 1990 to 2000. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And goes back in time and gives it to a younger Biff Tanner. And I mean, isn't that kind of what, what you're trying to describe is like, if we could only go back in time, which you can't, right? I mean... If you could go back in time, you'd probably buy Amazon for a dollar a share. Sure you would. You know? Yeah. But that's not what happened. No. So just continuing on themes, I mean, one of the... Oh, you want to get serious again? I do. Okay. I do, because this one's of particular interest to me is this whole issue of healthcare innovation. Because, of course, when you look at what's going on with developments in gene splicing and genetic solutions to disease processes, there's going to be some real potential there. Will money be made there? Possibly, but I couldn't tell you which company specifically. Well, and you can't forget about technology innovation, which we've already sort of talked about, but, you know, artificial intelligence, blockchain technology, et cetera. There's plenty of exciting developments in the tech industry, fintech, right? It's all around us. There's going to be new investment opportunities in the future that we do not know about today. That's right. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we want to keep in mind is that as we talk about these themes, we don't talk about them suggesting that people should rush out and invest thematically in these kinds of things. It's just to be aware of what's going on in the world. Because what happens is if you have a diverse mutual fund or an exchange traded fund, say something like, you know, something that invests in the Russell 3000, which are basically most of the stocks that make up the U.S. stock markets, by definition, you're going to hold these emerging companies and these emerging technologies and themes within that portfolio. And so by trying to avoid picking an individual stock that might have the potential to be a, a real disruptor, you're better off to own the market because the market will take care of that. And the importance of those kinds of themes, if they're successful, they will become a larger part of the market themselves. And so by definition, you'll participate in that growth. Yeah, which is just another way of saying a small cap tilt, right? Small company tilt and taking this long-term investment approach, focusing on that diversified portfolio is really where investors can potentially benefit from those themes that you mentioned, right? Is just by owning them all. That's right. All right. Well, listen, before we wrap up, let's talk about some areas of disruption that investors should be aware of. Sure. We already did that. Yeah, well, we did. I mean, these disruptive technologies, interestingly, they're becoming so commonplace. You know, certainly I think one of the most interesting ones, not from an investment standpoint necessarily, but just from a, you know, a cultural standpoint would be things like artificial intelligence, like chat GPT. You and I have played around with chat GPT and it's, it's, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? Pretty fun, actually. You can get a lot of data on there. I would hate to be a teacher right now grading papers, knowing that 99% of the papers you're grading have actually probably been written by ChatGPT. And just for people that haven't been exposed to ChatGPT, essentially it's a program and everybody can have access to it on your computer or your phone, which basically allows you to tell the program to send a fan letter to one of your favorite musicians or to write a cover letter for a job application 
And with just providing it some basic information, or in some cases, none other than the name, you will get something that looks like a well-researched output. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's pretty amazing. And that AI, that artificial intelligence is also making its way into transportation. You're looking at autonomous vehicles yep. that are here already, right? If you go to certain mining areas, they're already using autonomous trucks. It's kind of crazy. And those companies like Tesla are trying to bring autonomous driving to you and I, right? What was that Sylvester Stallone movie? You probably don't know it. Who was in it? Uh, I'll have to think about that one and come back to you. This is like Sandra Bullock was in it. Sylvester Stallone was a cop. And they were in the future and they were in an autonomous driving police cars. Okay. Yep. Anyways, it's actually ringing a bell, but we'll have to save that for another conversation. But listen, I'd just like to finish off by making the point that, you know, we've talked a lot about some disruptive technologies that are coming into the forefront of of our society, basically. And we've talked about other things that could be very big, have a big impact, let's say, on our economies in the future. But again, our goal is just to, you know, as we've talked about on a couple of weeks ago, you want to be aware of what's going on out there. You don't want to be blindsided. You don't want to be out of the loop on what direction society is going and technologies and things like that. But we're not talking about it from an investment standpoint specifically, right? We want all investors to have exposure to all of these technologies. And we believe the best way to do that is, as we said earlier, in a well-diversified portfolio. So boring. Because by definition, <laughs> you know, listen, uh, anybody that just invested in the S&P 500 years ago or in the NASDAQ 100 at that time got Apple. They got Amazon. These are all big components of the large cap indexes now. They were small companies once. And by having exposure to all of those small companies, you're going to get all of these future successes. Yeah, right on. That's a good way to wrap it up. So just stay invested, be well diversified, have a plan, etc. Right on. Okay. See you next time. Next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.